chapter number seven. Hey, Shannon. You know, I honestly, I don't know that I've ever wanted to be in a position where I would plot Jesus' murder. But if I'm really honest, I have had many times in my life where I wanted him to leave me alone. Did somebody say amen to that? Or am I the only one? Has he just ever been on you about something? And you're, you know, you maybe you don't say, I've said it. I've said it all kinds of ways. I've said it as point blank sometimes as like, like Jesus, chill. I've said I've had enough. I've said I can't take anymore. I've had all kinds of expressions where I wanted Jesus to back off. Um, that's all right. Come on in. Sit down. It's all good. You're more than welcome. You're welcome. Come on in. Let him in there, Rhett. Let Thomas in. He wants to sit with you, buddy. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Tonight, you know, as you guys know, there's already this murderous anger at Jesus. And if you want to get the timeline, Chapter uh, 6 sort of ends at the Passover, and now chapter 7, without any explanation in between, starts about six months later around the Festival of Booze, from the, what we might say is from the spring to the fall. And um, John doesn't feel compelled to fill in the blanks because he's concentrating on signs and discourses. Signs, he's doing stuff and saying stuff. Why is he doing stuff? So that by the signs, you might believe on Jesus, and in believing, have what, church? Life. A few weeks ago, Casey, I believe, expertly shared with us what believing's all about. What does that mean? It means having a relationship, not knowing about God, but knowing him in a personal relationship, and in coming under his lordship, receiving him as Lord in a relationship Letting him have that relationship as himself, as Lord. Amen? The problem with Jesus is his lordship tends to get all up in our business. Um, this weekend, I've, I've had one of the strangest text trails with Amy Edlin. Amy, Amy's dog was struck by a car. And I'm an old farm boy, you know, if, if it had been me, you know, click, clack, paddywhack, give a dog no more bones. Think of which way. Amy's hyper-compassionate. The doctor said there's a chance your dog will have a fruitful life. So they took poor crippled pebbles home. What's the dog's name, Amy? Lucy. Wow, Christina, you're so invested. You're Lucy's friend. And, and uh, yeah, well, I'm Amy's friend because I'm not worried about the dog. I'm worried about Amy. And uh, so I'm concerned about the dog because I'm concerned about Amy. But the discussion over the past few days is we've been wondering, <clears throat> has the dog <clears throat> had a BM? Yeah, yes. It's not time yet. No, no. Right now it's time to listen to Bible teaching. Later on it's time for sharing, Red, okay? 
Right now, we're all listening. Okay, thank you. So Amy's dog is recovering, and I would say, how's the dog doing? I'm really checking on Amy because I know she cares about the dog. Well, today she tells me, praises, it's happened. And this is a sign the dog is on a mend. Well, it is only inside of real friendships that you experience real things. There are people like, you know, Joe Biden has a dog named Washington. Joe Biden has not texted me anything going on with Washington. But Amy, my friend, my coworker, my sister from another mister, Amy has let me know what's going on with Luke. Um, maybe for some things. There are these things that are real in our relationship with the Lord that people who don't have a relationship with the Lord don't get that level of reality. And it's often, it's often Jesus' very upfront honesty about what friendship with God looks like that keeps people back from him. In my friendship with Amy, I have learned more about Lucy than I want to know about most every dog alive. Well, tonight we're going to read this long discourse. It's a very long discourse. One of the things the Bible teaches us is that we should read the Scripture aloud in public. As a matter of fact, the book of the Revelation says, read this aloud in public until I come back. So it's a long passage. Praise God. We'll have a time to talk right now. It's time we all are paying attention to Bible teaching. Praise God. Praise God. Uh, hey, guys. Hey, guys. Can we just stop and pray for Rhett right now? Guys, everybody here is for you, but right now it's Bible teaching time. We're going to pray for you. Okay. Okay. It's bothering you. It's bothering you. I got to shit. My bad, my bad, my bad. Listen, guys, this is Rhett. Yeah. Just hold on a second. Listen, guys, this is Rhett. He lives in our neighborhood. Came to us today. He's hurting. Right? He told me he, he's been an atheist for a long time. Yeah, and he's told me about some of his other struggles. It's not my story to tell, amen? 
but I think it's my responsibility to, to love him well, okay? So I'm just going to pray for you right now. And all these, any, anybody here mad at Brett? Rhett? Anybody? Anybody hate him? Anybody think we should look down on him because his hair is dyed or he's wearing a, 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 a leather coat? He asked me about that. Did we think bad of that? I told him we didn't. Any, any, I look like punk. Well, Brett, Brett doesn't, but. Um, all right, raise your hand if you would be willing to be his friend. Okay. Thank, thank you. All right, but look, we're going to pray, and then I'm going to do some Bible teaching, okay? Okay. All right, let's pray. No, you stay with me. We're going to pray for you. Just like everybody's heart is one right now. God, we lift up Rhett to you. His heart is heavy. He wants to see some changes in his life. He wants to walk with you, and he wants to believe in you. God, we humbly ask you to help him. Lord, help us to show him your love. Help us to tell him your truth. In Jesus we pray and the people of God say, amen. Now you sit down right here. Let me teach you Bible, okay? Thank you. Hey. Yeah, absolutely. You're a good hugger, man. All right, Red, I want you to find, I want you to find John chapter 7 in your Bible. That's right. I'm going to read it. You can also look on the screen. That's what a lot of us choose to do, okay? <clears throat> Guys, we can talk about Jesus all day long. At some point, we got to act like him. Long story. Worth one reading, okay? Nothing about Lucy in here. I guarantee you. Okay. John 7, 1. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testified about it, that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. Verse 10. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said he is a good man, others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them. My teaching is not mine, but it is, excuse me, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. 
Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge by or with the right judgment. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed, as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and you do not know him. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me and you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him in? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Father, we have a long passage, but you're a big God. Grant us great understanding. In Jesus I pray. Amen and amen. Guys, I am, uh, I think, I think under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, going to attempt to make quick work of this. And um, all of you who have great questions will be, will be uh, responsible for booking breakfasts and lunches with me and buying me meals and letting me explain things. Thanks, thanks, Rhett. Or you'll have to go to a Life Together group and figure, have a lot of great discussion. Yeah, we say amen. Say amen. All right, now you're cooking, brother.
Let me give you guys five big thoughts that will navigate you through this passage in a really powerful way. But it's going to take you guys studying it some yourself in the help of the Holy Ghost. One of the big ideas that we ought to see in here is this. Jesus abides in the Father's authority. In those first few verses, a really funny thing is going on. His brothers are basically poking and prodding him because brothers will do that, won't they? And in, just like in the world, they're saying, come on, man. You're out here hanging out on the edges. You're scared of those guys. You need to go down and prove that you're who you say you are. And he's basically like, no, I'm not. Now, this is not some little family argument. You remember, Jesus has already said, I only say and I only do what the Father's told me to say and do. And it's not his time. Point blank, period. It's not his time. Somebody say amen. That's the big deal here. You can get all the details, you can wrestle with them, but Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to get killed, but not right now. They're going to kill me, but not right now. The Father has sent me to die. Preach, church. So his brothers can't dissuade him, and it has nothing to do with being afraid. It has everything to do with abiding in the Father's authority. Secondly, secondly, not only does he abide in the Father's authority, he abides in the Father's timing. They go up, and then Jesus goes up privately. That's what verses 10 through 13 tell us. Point blank, after his brothers go up, he goes up. Why does he go up? What do you think his brothers would have done? They would have, they would have attempted in the flesh to ruin the timing. What will he do? He will go and appear where he needs to appear and say what he needs to say, and it won't be left to the hands of man. Two big lessons. I mean, if you're looking for application, the point of Jesus' signs and the points of his discourse are so that we might believe that he's the Christ and in believing have life. That's the point. Amen? But if you want some other application, one of the most untalked about and quite possibly the most needed spiritual gift every believer in this world needs is discernment. And Jesus is always picturing it. He's always picturing it. He's not doing what he's doing because so-and-so said he needed to or didn't need to do it. Jesus does what he does because it's what the Father is doing. Father's authority, the Father's timing. Any of you guys got either one of those perfected? Whew, I surely don't. I surely don't. Thirdly, thirdly, this next passage in verses 14 through 24 is some really deep stuff here. In the face of murderous hostility, Jesus remains steadfast in his ministry. If you go back and look at those verses, he, he goes up and he starts teaching, and, 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 and it's the people who are there, and the people, they marvel at his teaching, and, and, and they say, man, where did this guy go to college? He didn't go to college anywhere. I always pick on Casey and Christina. You know, they went to NC State and UNC Chapel Hill, respectively. And whenever they don't know something, I'll say, well, there's that public school education for you. You know, which is true. But um, I don't throw shade. I throw dark. But in all seriousness, that's what they're saying. Like, wow, this guy's talking in a way that, it seems like he's, you know, he's highly educated. He's, he's, 
he's gone to Harvard and Oxford and he, he's, he, you know, he's gone to uh, all these places, but we know he hasn't. So where is this coming from? Jesus basically goes like, hey, guys, that's one of those things that shows you I'm not with these people. There's a miracle happening. I'm discerning my father's authority. I'm discerning my father's timing, and I'm speaking my father's word. This is stuff that could not have originated in a school setting. It's actually one of those apologetics. There's a, what the theologians call a qualitative difference in what Jesus is teaching. And Jesus says, let me explain that to you. It's because it comes from the Father. Comes from the Father. And so here in this passage, people are really upset. Are they upset that he is saying smarter stuff than anybody else is saying? No, it's a continuation of the same thing they've been upset with. He is claiming a special connection, a special relationship with the Father. He is placing himself on level with the Father, and they are angry about that. Stop. Stop. Remember our threefold thing whenever we deal with Jesus? I didn't come up with this. I'm just passing it on. I actually cannot remember who the originator of it was. I, I, I got it from uh, the McDowell guy, but it's not my thinking. Solid, though. Whenever you're dealing with Jesus, you got to decide, is he a lunatic? Doesn't even know what he's talking about. Or is he a charlatan? Is he trying to dupe you? Is he trying to get over on you? Or is he exactly who he says he is? If he's a charlatan, call the cops. If he's a nut, walk away. But if the evidence is there that Jesus is the real deal, then we got to wrestle with what he's saying. I believe Jesus is Lord. Amen? But look how the crowd responds to this. He says, listen, this is where I come from, and that's why they're trying to kill me. The people say, ain't nobody trying to kill you. See, the people aren't aware of their leadership's plots yet. You know, that, that still happens these days. Did y'all know that? We're not really sure what our government's up to, but we know we got over a $30 trillion debt. Well, what are they doing with all that? I don't know. That's a debt. The question isn't what are they doing? What did they do? There's still too many potholes in Highway 49. The people don't know. They don't know that there's these plots afoot. Jesus knows. And so what do they say? They say, man, somebody's trying to kill you. Jesus, you're tripping. You got a demon. The hostility is ramping up, and now it's beginning to go past the leadership and to the people. As you watch this passage, the division grows more and more. What are they divided over? They're divided over the identity of Jesus. What is the entire world ultimately divided over, church? On that, na- on that day, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. Some knees will bow in grateful praise, and some knees will bow in broken conqueredness. Fourthly, so these people have questions about Jesus, and Jesus confronts problems common to people. If you look at verses 25 and following, 
You know, I like that first question. Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? Uh, I like that question because it could be totally loaded. Like, why is he still talking? <laughs> you know, um, I've, I, was, I was thrown out of a softball game once. Imagine that. And I went to the parking lot, and I was still yelling at the guy. And they said, if you don't get off of the property, we're going to call the law. So I drove out into the middle of the road besides Olive Hill Ballpark and parked my truck and stood in the back and yelled at them. And they called the law. Called law. <laughs> yeah. And I left. <laughs> but that's, they're like, hey, if somebody's trying to kill this guy, why is he still talking? It's a great question. It's a great question. But they dismiss their question by, by this method. They say, listen. We know where this guy comes from. This guy comes from Galilee. He can't be the Messiah. They dismiss him. This is not the first time it happened. Nathan A.L. said, can anything good come from Nazareth? Obviously, they don't know all that God went through. And I'm going to back y'all up all the way to Christmas. Some of you guys will remember this. I gave y'all a little nugget about history, how there was a three-way civil war in the Roman government. One guy gets down pretty quick. The other guy is Mark Anthony. He hooks up with this lady named Cleopatra. Y'all remember this story? They went against this guy named Octavian. Octavian wins the war, becomes Caesar, renames himself Caesar Augustus. And Caesar Augustus did what? Called for the, the census. God, God literally, the scripture says the king's heart is like a river in his hand. God has maneuvered and directed history down to the minutiae, Ken and Allen's word of the week, so that obedient citizens would go to these cities so Jesus would be born right where he was supposed to be born. These folks didn't know all those details. So how does Jesus deal with their problems? I like the way John MacArthur put it, so I put it in your notes for you. He says there's a problem of dense confusion. In verses 25 through 29, they didn't know what they were talking about. <laughs> I'm going to put it in fast forward. Okay, any of y'all ever had that problem? You didn't know what you was talking about? You ever had a child trying to tell you something and they were sure they were right? I love having those discussions with kids. My, I wanted, if, you know, if the passage wasn't so long, I would have put up the video of that little kid in the green shirt where he's talking to his mom, and he says, listen, Linda, 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 listen, honey. Hey, grandmas, you can touch everything. And his mom just says, I'm going to pop you on the behind. Listen, Linda, listen, Kevin. <laughs> he immediately goes to blame somebody else. She says, I'll pop you and Kevin. Honey, honey. He closes his eyes in the video and does his no, Honey, listen. That's the way little kids deal with you, right? Do you know how much we stand in front of God going, listen, 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 listen. This doesn't make sense because, listen, nothing good comes out of Galilee. Listen, God, listen. Listen, honey, in Jerusalem, we crucify everyone. I mean, that's the level we are with God. There's this dense confusion. I, I like MacArthur's words. He says, secondly, there's this divided conviction. The, the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering. You know what they do? They just fall right up in the middle of it. 
They just fall right up in the middle of it. He says in verse 30, so they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not come. On the one hand, the leaders were afraid of the people. That explains the human element. On the other hand, guess what? God's not letting them lay a hand on him. So you can say, what were people doing? People were being afraid. What was God doing? God was using what people were doing. And thirdly, John MacArthur says, there was, a prob- there was a problem of delayed conversion. Pick it up in verse 33. I want to harp on this just a moment. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me. You will not find me where I am. You cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man think he's going that we can't find him? Where does he think he's going? In other words, there would be, according to John MacArthur, and I love his wording, I love his explanation. He's saying here, I am going back to heaven through the cross and the grave. Even if you go to the cross and the grave, it will not accomplish what I accomplished through the cross and the grave. And I'm going to heaven. And the Holy Ghost is going to come. All that's packed into here. And what he's telling these folks, like for some of y'all, the belief is going to come. The belief is going to come. For some of them, belief is going to come. And then finally and quickly, in the last 16 verses of the passage, Jesus draws myriad reactions from people. Man, again, again. I was studying John MacArthur's notes and his commentary, and I just loved how he pointed out the reactions. In the, in the very first part, there were these people who were convinced. Look at verse 40. This really is the prophet. Look at verse 41. This is the Christ. Some of them had enough evidence. They'd seen or heard about enough signs. They had heard his witness. But more importantly, the God of very God had spoken to their spirit. And they got it. The gift had been given to them, and they weren't resisting it. And then some people, their reaction was contrary. Again, John MacArthur's words. I I, I quoted Casey Adams today twice, and I gave him full credit. I'm going to give John MacArthur full credit. Uh, Casey, I think John MacArthur gets more quotes from, but I'd be totally offended if I were you. Look at the second part of verse 41. But some said what? Is the Christ to come from Galilee? And then they asked this question. Verse 42, has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the offspring of David? Well, Jesus of Nazareth did come from Bethlehem. You jokers. They didn't believe. They wouldn't look at the evidence or they didn't know the evidence. The third reaction was hostility. Look at verse 43 and 44. So there was a division among the people over them. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. You know, sort of like one of these, from a human perspective, you do it. No, you do it. But from a divine perspective, God was preserving him at this moment. Ironically, a year later, even God doesn't preserve it. That's a year from this point, a year from now. John chapter 11 closes with the Feast of the Booze. John chapter 12 opens up. It's at Passover. Then the rest of John is about the week of Passover, celebrations, and going to the cross. A year from this moment, God removes his protection from his shepherd so that God himself might strike. Right now, the people already want to. All right, side note. 
people can never out-scheme God. Somebody ought to say amen. When you get to tripping about what your government's doing, they can't out-scheme God. We in line for a few butt-kickings as a nation anyway. We need to reconcile that. Right? Yo, at your workplace, you might be getting done wrong for a season, but guess what? They cannot out-scheme God. Isn't that cool? Cool, rel- You know what? You can't even out-scheme God. I try sometimes. I can't. Fourthly, there's reaction of the confused. The officers came to the chief priest, verse 45 said, and they said, why did you not bring him in? <laughs> the officers said, no one spoke like this man. <laughs> they like, man, we, we were going, and then we started listening, and we couldn't do it. In other words, here's what it says in between the words. See, what had happened was they had a plan, but they weren't ready for Jesus. And then lastly, the reaction of the religious leaders. And don't you love that Nicodemus shows back up? And don't miss what's happening here in these last few verses. Nicodemus says, wait a minute, are we the kind of people that's going to just try somebody, say they're guilty before we've even given them a fair trial? You know, they basically say to Nicodemus, do you want to go with him? I mean, we, we can label you with him. We can dispense of you the same way. Nicodemus goes strangely silent all the way to the end of John now. What's my point and why do I feel the conviction to share this whole passage? It's one long story that has a ton of implications and applications. The strongest implication is that all of this is tracking exactly where God wants it to track. You can get caught up in all these little stories. We could preach through John 7 for weeks. And the danger of doing that, we might miss that there's a trajectory of Jesus to go to the cross. And at this moment, it's not that time. That time's coming. Why is that so important? Because if he doesn't go to the cross, you're still in your sins. If you're still in your sins, you're still dead. If you're still dead, you have no hope. You have no hope. There's no expectation of heaven when you die. We needed more signs. We needed more discourse. We needed more proofs. We needed more prophecies to come true and more prophecies to be made. We needed all the tracks of our faith to follow God's timing. And that's what reading all of John 7 reminds me of. Secondly, secondly, the machinations of man. I'm going to harp on this. The machinations of man will not outstrip the purposes of God. And we need this whole story to see that. I need to remember that. Is anybody ever, like, I don't watch the news, but I do sometimes listen to the news or read the news. You ever read the news and just get mad, or am I the only one? You ever? Just me? Okay, you do too? Thanks, Jason. I get fighting mad sometimes. I just do, and, you know, there's, there's, there's two ways to handle that. Well, three. One of them I'm not going to choose. I'm, I'll choose one of the other two. The way I'm not going to choose is where you rant and rave and think everything's in your power and you try to get everybody over onto your side of your political spectrum or whatever. Right? That's one way to handle it. The other way to handle it is to start ignoring it. Anybody in here like me take seasons off from the news? We were going to Wake for uh, Winston-Salem this weekend and somebody's like, do you hear about the big fire? I'm like, no. 
Well, suddenly they had me a little freaked out, so I had to find out where's the big fire, where are we going? Turns out it was a really big fire. But I'm in one of my seasons of ignoring the news. But we went to Winston-Salem, right, because I looked for my family. It's cool. There's this other reaction, and here's the one I want to choose more often. I look or I hear this is what's going on, but what's going to ultimately happen? Believers, do you know how much hope and ultimacy ought to speak into your today? But you have to put, you have to put the promises from here onto this so that you can see this to there. Or else we'll just be people of utter despair. We'll be people who, who scheme and connive, who fight all the time to get our way or be heard. We suddenly become a collection of angry, bitter people wrestling with self, with each other, and with God. And that's what you get when you read this whole story. A may you of people scrambling and a peaceful Savior walking in their midst, knowing exactly what's coming and only waiting on God's time. That's the way I want to live, knowing exactly what's coming and waiting on God's time. That's why we need to read the whole chapter. How about, that's the implications, how about the application? Where are you at with your today problems in trusting God for his future solutions? Where are you with your today problems Maybe some of you guys need to do some of this, what I often call spiritual mathematics. You need to count it all joy. I mean, there's a lot more. If I start preaching on those, I'll preach on those. I saw a polite frown from someone. That means don't preach on those. Some, some of you, I mean, tonight, tonight, you need to begin wrestling with some spiritual mathematics. I don't want you, I don't want you to bury your grit your teeth and just try to do better in the flesh. I want you to take a good, honest look at the things that are wrong or hurt, the places where you're wounded, the places where you've been violated, the places where you've been done wrong. And I can't guarantee you those people in your life are going to make those things right. We know from this story that a year from now, those very some of those very same people are going to kill Jesus. Or they're going to be part of the machine that eats them up, right? But where's Jesus? Jesus has his eyes on the whole story. I can't promise you the people in your life will say they're sorry, make things right, start acting better. But what can you do? You can start counting the joy because you know where it's all going. Someone here is already saying, I surely wish God would tell me some of that part in the middle. Me too, sissy. I'd like to know some of that part in the middle. Amen? I would. But I don't. I don't know, and I'm not God. So where's your application? Try some spiritual math. Secondly, and not more importantly, but it feels more confrontational. There's two ways this thing is going. Some of these people became the friends of God through Jesus. They become the adopted children of God. Some of these people didn't. Some of these people will escape the judgment and wrath of God and enter into his peace eternally. Some of these people weren't. That is absolutely no different today. Some people are hear the truth of Jesus, and they go, man, he's the Christ. 
some of us are angry because Jesus wants to get up in our business. Some of us have, well, I'm, I'm going to use his words. Some of us have delayed conversion. In other words, stuff is getting planted in us, and it's coming. But here's what I know. There's only two destinies, and Christ is the dividing point of both of them. Receive him and his lordship and have eternal rest with the Father starting today. Don't receive him. Remain at war for as long as you don't receive him, even through eternity. In a setting like this where fewer and fewer people are going to church just for casual reasons, the likelihood that somebody doesn't have a relationship with God is lower than it used to be, but the likelihood is still there. Here at Israel, we're a people of God becoming fit for the purposes of God. None of us are perfect, but it all begins when you get adopted through Christ. Your sins are covered by his blood, you're sealed by his Holy Spirit, and you're counted in his family. When you believe, Casey, how'd you, how'd you put it the other week? Part of believing is knowing him in a personal relationship. Part of believing is receiving him as Lord. But it's all one believing. Do you know him today? The altar's yours. John, would y'all come and lead us and give us a time of response? You might want to sit where you are and pray. You might want to get on your knees, okay? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that this is, this is your flock. At best, we are just your under-shepherds. We're just your, your slaves, your servants. At best, this is, this is not anything we own or run. You're the boss. And so, Father, we thank you that what in our flesh we're tend to, tempted to think of as interruptions are really opportunities. And we pray that in the interesting outworking of tonight's gathering, you still speak to your children and encourage them, inspire them, and train them. And that, too, your Holy Spirit would speak to those who need that word of salvation. The flesh is of no help at all, but we trust your Holy Spirit to give us an honest response. In Jesus we pray. Amen.